it's not about going fast. It's about finishing. That stayed with me my whole life. He said, the most important thing is just doing it every day. He said, some days are going to be really easy and other days impossible. Welcome to The Work in Between, the podcast that explores the topics and daily habits and actions that get us to our health-related goals. Whether you're trying to lose weight, improve your mental or emotional health, or working on your spiritual journey, you're in the right place. In 2021, I was diagnosed with diabetes and was morbidly obese. I was already a three-time cancer survivor, so I knew I had to do something to turn my life around. So I did. I lost over 100 pounds and began transforming my life inside and out. I'm living a much more purposeful and intentional life, and I want you to do that too. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. I'm your host, Gretchen Holmes, and this is The Work In Between. Have you been thinking about starting a walking or running program? Or have you been walking or running for a while and want to elevate your program? Maybe you've lost weight or want to lose weight or just navigated a serious illness and realized that it's time to get strong. And what helps keep you moving forward when all you want to do is quit? We'll discuss these topics and more with iconic athlete, sports and social advocate, author and Emmy Award winning television commentator, Catherine Switzer. In 1967, Catherine was the first woman to officially register and run the Boston Marathon. During the race, the race manager attempted to physically remove her from the race. He failed. Catherine completed the race, but then the AAU banned women from competing in races against men. Thus started Catherine's relentless journey to create running opportunities for women around the world, including getting the Women's Marathon approved as an official event in the Olympics. Catherine is the epitome of strength and empowerment and has paved the way for women of all ages all over the world to not only start running, but compete at the highest levels. She's a member of the National Women's Hall of Fame, was named Female Runner of the Decade by Runner's World magazine, and has been a champion and visionary for women's sports for over 50 years. If you haven't read her memoir, Marathon Woman, you absolutely should. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you, Gretchen, for having me. And after all these years, we're finally getting together again. This is great. I know. I think it's been 25 or 30 years since I saw you last. And I will, in full disclosure, was a temp in New York City. Got the opportunity to work with you. It was such a wonderful memory for me. So thank you for being so willing to come talk about your experiences on my podcast. I'm so glad to be here. So let's just get right into it. First of all, I just finished reading your book, Marathon Woman, and I am so soon inspired. to be a major motion picture. Is it really? I don't know. If soon is the operative so, word, but yeah. Okay, okay we, folks, you heard it here. You heard it uh-huh. here. Oh, I can't wait. That's amazing. You're the epitome of what this podcast is all about, from becoming a world-class athlete to creating running opportunities for women all over the world 
everybody wants to know, how did you keep showing up day in and day out to reach those goals? How do you do that? Yeah, showing up is like one of the most important things. I think it is the most important thing. It is sort of like you being the temp. You showed up. You see what I mean? You got the job. And way back when, it's always the case. But how did I keep doing? Well, first of all, there was a lot of work to be done. And I was passionate about getting as much done as I possibly could. And I couldn't see a whole lot of other people stepping up. So I, I stepped up. And you know what? I mean, opportunities, everything. It's not just talent. Talent's everywhere, you know? But people have to show up and they have to have the opportunity. They have to create the opportunity for themselves if they're not given the opportunity. And that's what creates results. For me, I wanted to be a good athlete. I was ambitious. For me, I wanted to create a career. I wanted to finish my degree. I wanted to do all of these things. But most, my biggest passion was trying to create safe space and acceptance for women in running and to let them enjoy the full glory of putting one foot in front of the other and having an enormous sense of empowerment. That's what the sport had given me. And whatever way I could make it happen, I was willing to show up to do it. Like, I know we may get into this, but a lot of legislation, let's say, to get the women's marathon into the Olympic Games. Now, that yeah. sounds like it's completely off chart from what we're going to be talking about, but it's not because people don't aspire to something unless they have a goal. For instance, the Olympics does not accept women in running, then they're going to believe they can't do it. So they go elsewhere. They don't believe in themselves. So you have to create that opportunity. That's what keeps me showing up. I love that. Even if you don't know the path forward and there's all these obstacles and these barriers and reasons why you can't do things, you just have to take the next best step or you get overwhelmed. I mean, how did you not get overwhelmed or did you? I did. I got overwhelmed a lot, but I just kept going. I mean, it's again, the metaphor is the marathon race. You know, you get into it, you get to 32 miles and you know, I mean, this is an ultra race. Let's say you get to 32 miles and you got to go 50 and you say, I can't go a one step further, but the race is 50. So you got to go either that or you drop out. Then you regret it the rest of your life when you drop out. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You know, well, also look, it's an adventure. You never know what's going to happen unless you give it a shot. And everybody says that who's been successful. Some of the most unlikely people and some of the most unlikely circumstances have resulted in phenomenal, miraculous achievement. I agree. Was running always transformational for you? Yeah, it was. And how amazing. Because, you know, I was a skinny little kid at 12, desperate to be accepted in high school and prepubescent and everybody else was all grown up. And I was a little nerd. And my dad said I should run a mile a day so I could make the field hockey team in my school. And I didn't think I could possibly run a mile a day. And he said, sure, you can. Come on, I'll help you measure the yard. And the first time I did it, and he said, see, I told you you could do it first time, you know, just this easy, slow mile. He said some amazing things. He said, it's not about going fast. It's about finishing. That stayed with me my whole life. He said, the most important thing is just doing it every day. He said, some days are going to be really easy and other days impossible, but you're going to do it. And I did. And he was right. But anyway, the thing is, it gave me a victory under my belt that nobody could take away from me. And that's a really powerful tool for a 12-year-old kid going into a big high school. Yeah. And so I felt empowered and strong, still nerdy, but I had this victory and it stuck with me my whole life. And it, it was my go-to, you know, when I needed a time to think or clear my head or have that rush of achievement, I would go out and run. 
And so pretty soon the miles added up and the distances got longer and I got faster. And then it became clear that women weren't doing it. How can we get other women to do it? Men were wonderful to me in running, the mm -hmm. other runners. But clearly all my life, that's the thing that I've gone back to. I mean, I'm 76. The daily run is still a thing. And oh if I get gosh. really pissed off about my work, <laughs> I said, OK, just put it down. Just go out. If I can't get the lead to a story, if I can't get an idea, I go out and run. The oxygen over the brain, you know, the synapses connect better and yeah. you get wonderful inspiration. I've never experienced that as I've ran before. I used to work out with the Army ROTC in the morning. I was in my 40s and I was running with these little 20-year-old young men and women. And and I was, I don't know, probably a three quarters of a mile in and I've never been a runner, but I was running because that's what they said that we had to do. And this young guy comes running up next to me and he says, you know, Dr. Norling, the army could use people like you. And I busted out laughing because I said, well, first of all, I'm 20 years older than you can be to even do that. But secondly, I thought I'm going to throw up now. And so I don't think I was their prime candidate. So, of course, we have to talk about Boston. Of course we do. When did you realize that what happened in Boston was going to be way bigger than you? First of all, of course, in the Boston Marathon, it was only at a mile and a half. The official attacked me in the race and, and he tried to pull off. I brought him. Here we go. My, my bib numbers, 261. There we go. Tried to pull those bib numbers off of me and throw me out of the race. I just thought he was an irate official. It's a funny story in a way. I was horrible, actually. But my boyfriend decked him. So, you know, I went on and finished. So this is a boyfriend saves his girlfriend. Ha ha. Um, <laughs> I went on and finished the race. We all, my coach and my boyfriend and I, we just said, gosh, that guy was just out of control. Da, da, da. Didn't think anything really about it. And then we piled in the car that evening in Boston and drove all the way back to Syracuse, which was, you know, six hour drive. And we stopped on the throughway to get uh, some coffee and some ice cream to stay awake halfway about Albany. And the newsstands were filled with all these newspapers. And we were on the front page of everything. I said, wow, it wasn't just a funny incident. You know, this was something really, really tremendous. And I said, this is probably going to change my life and maybe change women's sports. You know, it's not also what happens to you that mm -hmm. makes the difference. It's what you do with what happens to you. You know, I was very young. I was only 20. So, I mean, I'd had no experience with any of this. Mostly I made the right decisions and used it, I think, in an appropriate way. Certainly it changed women's sports and certainly changed my life. I mean, it was a, a pivotal point in my life, actually. Having read your book, it's not as though your life was just running and everything else was going swimmingly. You've had all sorts of distractions. Like all the rest of us, you've had relationships that had issues and you've had challenges. And one of my friends, because I've been asking a number of my friends about, you know, I'm going to be interviewing Catherine Switzer. What would you like me to ask her? And the number one question was, how did you stay so focused and not get distracted by your life events? I think probably this is maybe a positive, maybe a negative in my life. I don't know. My first two marriages were disasters. That's very clear in my book. And by yeah, the way, yeah. when I wrote my book, I decided to tell the truth. And it was really interesting that I couldn't write that book until I was that age, you know, whatever it was, 50s or something. No, 60, because I remember pushing the send button on my 60th birthday. 
How could I forget that moment? <laughs> what a great gift to yourself and to the rest yeah, of us. Yeah, yeah, right. But I said, you know, am I going to send this off, to, you know, into the ether? Because I'm telling stuff, you know, here that is pretty personal. I think I compartmentalized also. You know, when things were really rough at home in relationships, my second husband, for instance, was an alcoholic. There's just nothing you can do with that when you've tried everything. So you put it in a little box and you put it over there and you go for a run. And if you run long enough, you know, it, it kind of numbs your brain and gives you a focus on the positive of other things that you can concentrate on to make your life a positive experience rather than thinking about something that you can't change no matter what you do. So I had that ability to do that. But I mean, it takes its toll because it piles up inside of you and then there's going to be an explosion sometime. But fortunately, running was a diffuser. But I remember that when that marriage ended, I had by that time, I had a really, really important job and I didn't have time to train at the level I was training at. So maybe I was getting in one or two runs a week on the weekends and that was it. And soon the relationship became intolerable, you see, because I couldn't run it off anymore. Such a great point. You couldn't run it off anymore. I couldn't run it off anymore. So I, I, I just found myself, you know, one Saturday morning packing a suitcase and getting in the car and driving away, which is something nobody told me you could actually do. You keep thinking you've got to live with it and actually you can pack a suitcase and go. I mean, it's kind of like that Simon and Garfunkel song. Just turn into Key Lee. Just slip out the back check. That's right. <laughs> Make a new plan, Stan. That's right. <laughs> well, I, but you know, that's the thing, though, especially at that time where women really didn't know they had those types of options, right? I mean, most of them, Gretchen, don't. Yeah. Most of them don't. Yeah. I had a really good job and I was making a lot of money. Not a lot of money. I was making more money than most women made. Right. And so I could save money and afford to leave. Most women can't afford to leave. And unfortunately, I think that's still a situation today. I think there's a lot of women who cannot afford to leave. I read in an interview where you talked about the myths of limitations. And at that time, it was about why more women weren't running at that time. What do you think are the most pervasive myths of limitation today? Do you think they're the same or do you think they've changed? Because we certainly still have them. And what do you think they are? Well, I think that at least industrialized nations, I think that the, the myths of limitation have been much reduced because we see examples of women all the time who are very successful. Not enough of them. Not enough of them are in the C-suite. But it's sure a lot better than it used to be. I mean, I yeah. remember when the first women were admitted to Harvard Law. Remember that? Oh, you yeah. don't remember that. <laughs> well, I, I'm 60, I was, so. Yeah. Yeah. Here's an interesting thing. For instance, I, sorry to get off the track. I made a no. speech the other day at a race and I said, how many of you, for instance, are products of Title IX institutions? I looked at the age of the audience. The audience was all between 35 and 55, let's say, roughly. Yeah. And not a hand went up. Mm. But I looked at their faces. They didn't know what I was talking about. They were all products of Title IX institutions, but they didn't even know it. They didn't even know that there had been that legislation, you see? Anyway, so a lot has changed, Gretchen, and there are tremendous other opportunities. Sports is, of course, the thing that I eyeball the most. It's Mm -hmm. phenomenal. You know, we have a long way to go in terms of professionalism, of getting women equal pay, equal jobs in the sports industry, but it's happening. And people, women are looking at that and saying, okay, you know, if she can do it, I can do it, or maybe I can try, or maybe they steer their education now in that direction, which is great. So I'm very optimistic about that part. I'm less optimistic about what's happening in the rest of the world, 
non-industrialized nations. And that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast we'll do someday. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. I've talked a few times with different people about our limiting thoughts, our, how we talk ourselves out of things before we even start. And I would think with things like losing weight or working on our mental health or navigating serious illnesses or whatever the goal is, it's amazing to me how we get in our own heads so quickly and so easily and have so much trouble getting out of there. If you could give advice to and not just women, anybody who is trying to dismantle those myths of limitations, because guys have them too. Of course they do. Oh, yeah. What's your advice? Just start one thing. Yeah. Just do one thing. I'm not a hoarder, but I'm very messy, for instance, is because I keep writing things down on little pieces of paper. And then I get really depressed and overwhelmed because I think I'm not getting anything done. Just say, okay, I can't do that whole room over there yet, but I'm going to do like these four papers, pieces of paper that are on the top of my desk. Just those, just those. So you just have to start. That's a very simple, almost funny thing. But illness is a different thing. And and your story is a really good one. I have actually shingles. Well, it's over now. But I've had post-herpetic neuralgia around my eye, behind my eye, incredibly painful for 20 months. And I had to rethink a lot. I mean, I'm losing my appearance. I'm getting older. What's the long-term effects of this? And it was a whole new thing for me to, it's not a, this is not a hamstring pull. Okay. This is an illness. And how do you deal with that? And basically, you know, I'm taking it one day at a time and I'm running down different treatments and I'm Googling stuff. I'm talking to people. I'm going to different practitioners, you know, just trying to work at it. If nothing else, I'm becoming pretty educated. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think that we have a tendency to to try to do too much at once, which we're okay. going to talk about in a little bit as it relates to running. But I'm curious, looking back at your journey, and you have had an amazing journey. What surprised you the most about your journey, your life, all this stuff that's happened? Absolutely falling totally in love with my present husband, my last husband, my only real husband. We've been married for 35 years, and I never thought I could be madly in love with somebody for that long and totally faithful and having somebody in my life that maybe is a lot more important than I am. And that was really, really amazing. And it was because I think in love, the more you give away, the more you get back. It was letting go. That was the biggest surprise. I got married in my late 40s, and we just celebrated 14 years, actually, yesterday. My mom always told me, you know, Gretchen, you don't have to get married young, because you could get married at 50 and still have 25 years, and that's long enough for anybody to be married. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. But, you know, but in 35 years, you know, people do grow up a lot more, and they change, et cetera, et cetera. But it's great that it has worked together. And it's been complicated, you know, because we live in two different countries, back and forth. And instead of looking at it from the negative side, we look at it at the positive side. Wow, we get to live in two countries. What are you most proud of? And you have a lot to be proud of. Well, I think I'm most proud of a successful marriage with my husband, Roger Robinson. That's a personal Mm -hmm. thing, I think, professionally. You know, for years, I used to say being the or a major mover in getting the women's marathon into the Olympic Games in 1984, because it wasn't just getting an event in the Olympic Games. It was changing social thought and belief around the world about women's limitations. Because when the event was on television three years after we got that acceptance, 
2.2 billion people watched it. And so everybody was seeing women run 26 miles, the longest running event in the Olympic Games for men or for women. It was like getting the vote. It was like the physical equivalent of giving women the right to vote. But people in countries who rode donkeys still and, and walked everywhere, you still had access to television and saw that women were doing this. And that changed a lot of thinking about women's capability and, and right to be. Up until, I would say, eight, five or six years ago, that was like my most important accomplishment. My most important accomplishment is going to happen after I die. And that is that bib number, which I showed you earlier, 261, yes. Yes. has become now a nonprofit, 261 Fearless. It is, the strangest thing is, is that people over the years began writing to me and emailing me and saying that 261, that bib number, because of that incident, makes me feel fearless. And I thought, makes them feel fearless. I wonder why. And then I got to thinking about it. Well, because of that story, they relate to being told you can't do this. You're not welcome. And we're going to throw you out. And you're not cool. You know, you're too fat. You're too slow. You're too whatever. You yeah. know, you're not part of us. You're not whatever. And then they go and start running. They do something very simple mm -hmm. and it tra changes their life. They know they can do anything. And And these people then had getting ready to run their first marathon usually. And they would email me and say, you know, I've got. 5,892, you know, from the New York City Marathon, I'm going to run my first yeah. marathon tomorrow. But on their back, they were wearing 261. Oh. Or they were inking it on their arm. One woman had it on the inside of her wrist so she could keep looking at it for courage. And then they started sending me pictures of their tattoos. So I oh, said, yeah. I'm, I've yeah. got to do something now. This is too big. And I said, I can't start another business, another revolution, da, 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 da. But my friend said, let's do a nonprofit because there are women out there who have no access at all. And yeah. so basically 261 Fearless is an organization for women and about women and run by women to simply get women to put one foot in front of the other in a safe space in a series of community clubs and feel that sense of empowerment. And we combine that with a range of educational programs as well which co trains coaches to lead other women. So they learn how to lead and they learn how to um, pass on their empowerment to others. It's a terrific, terrific nonprofit. I can't believe it when six years, we're already in 13 countries and it's going fantastically. Usually nonprofits don't get traction for a long time. We are already in some difficult places like a Democratic Republic of Congo. When we start getting women in those places to be able to go out the door and start to put one foot in front of it, that's when we're going to really change a lot of core problems in women's society. What an amazing so, legacy. I couldn't even, this one came to me. First of all, I'm really a meat and potatoes person. I'm very practical. Eat well, train hard. You're going to get results type of yeah. thing. But this was like coming in from the ether about, you know, oh, you make me feel fearless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a tattoos that clinched the deal, right? <laughs> oh, I'm sure that I wondered how many thousands of tattoos are out there that say 261. I mean, that's just, I mean, just what a tribute, not just talk about being bigger than a person, but literally transforming just generations generations yeah. that's that's extraordinary to yeah. well, have thank you done thank that. you but they're the people who had to put on their shoes and go out the door so i'm yeah. really proud of them <laughs> oh i think that's amazing and it's a great segue because obviously we have to talk about running i have your book running and walking for women over 40 
you lay everything out step by step. And it's a great book. So I'm going to highly recommend anybody who is trying to get started with a running or a walking program. I don't care if you're 40 or not. What's the one thing you wish people would stop doing when they start out? They go too fast. They say, I don't like running because I run out of breath and I feel horrible. And I say, they take off and they sprint down to the corner and then they're gasping. And I say, well, why don't you just start walking? I think that book, Running and Walking for Women Over 40, starts with go out of your house every day and go walk down to the mailbox or walk down to the corner and come back. Just walk. You need the consistency more than anything else. So that's the second problem is, is that they're inconsistent. They think that it's going to uh, come with, you know, going out once every two weeks or something like that. You need to put the shoes by the door and go out every day. 10 minutes a day is better than an hour a week because you train your body to get used to movement. And also, you know, if you want to lose weight, that's how you start a caloric burn is you raise the metabolism. And you just need to do something every day to keep that metabolism a little higher. So those are the two things. Can I tell you why I wrote that book? I'd love yeah, to tell you. please do. Um, I was down from New York visiting my mom in, in the Washington, D.C. area, and she was reading the Washington Post, and she threw the paper down. And she said, these health pages are always telling us older girls <laughs> mm. to go out and exercise, but nobody is telling us how. Mm. And I looked at it and I went, Mother, you have known me out <laughs> running for 30 years. <laughs> she said, yeah, but you're different. I said, no, I'm not a different from anybody. I'm like you. And I said, you put on your shoes and you go out the door. And she said, what shoes? What kind of shoes? How far do I go? How fast do I go? And I thought, oh my God, this is my mother who encouraged me when I was 12. And and so I said, I got to write a book about this. And honestly, publishers said, you got to be kidding me. Nobody's going to buy this book. <laughs> it's a big bestseller. It was huge. It was on Oprah. <laughs> Because it was for women or because well, I know there all, were men's running books? First of books. all, they said, you know, exercise books sell, but now you're just doing this for women. So oh. that's half of our sales gone. Mm. Okay. Okay. I said, then they said over 40, forget it. Women over 40 don't run. That's what they said. I said, I know thousands of women. This is one of the biggest trends in fitness today is women over 40, finally having the time and the courage to go out and exercise. It was a bestseller, but I want to put a proviso on it. That book seriously needs rewriting. That, that was written in 1998, but it's a good basic book. Even women have come to me, teachers, and said, I'm using that book for my school kids to show how to increase their running. It's really cute. They sometimes get their kids out just to get some fresh air every day, and then they give them a goal of running a marathon at the end of the term, not the full marathon distance, but they run a mile a day or they run 500 yards a day. And then they add up, you know, it becomes a math problem. Yeah, <laughs> they right. add up their mileage. Nice. And then they, they see how far we've gone. We go from uh, today. We went from New York to Philadelphia with all our miles. Look at that. You know, and then there's a geography lesson. It was really good for the, for all ages. It's really interesting. Thank you for mentioning that old relic. (laughs) No, I mean, I was reading that. I like your little tips that you threw in there were so insightful. And some of them made me laugh, but others I thought only you would have the courage to talk about whatever the tip was when, you know, all women are dealing with that. You know, you talk about like, well, let's say it like urinary incontinence. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Running down the road and. There you go. And now I can buy in stores and in running magazines, you can buy 
period panties and all kinds of things yeah. like that that are products that address this because we can at least talk about it now. And in those days, you know, wear your black tights. That That's your right. advice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The subtitle to that book is The Road to Sanity and Vanity. Where did you come up with that? I would love to think that it was my line, but always runners had said, said, are you running these days? And they said, oh, yeah, but only for sanity and vanity. All runners want to keep thin and they know it's for their head. So it became sanity and vanity. I've heard it for years and and we throw it around in the running community as as a kind of joke, but it's true. I wanted that to be the title of the book. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the publisher said, no way it's going to wind up in the psych section. Oh, (laughs) well, you know, I don't think people talk enough about the mental and emotional and spiritual benefits of whatever it is people choose to do, but certainly in running, but it doesn't just clear your head. It's healing. Yes, it is. It is physically too. Let's even forget the mental part. Physically, you bring yourself back again and again and again, because you're forcing the body to produce new cells. You're getting fresh oxygen in there. You're losing weight. You're burning off negative energy and nervous tension. I mean, it's just, it's a winner. It's cheap. I mean, it's free. I mean, <laughs> well, it is. I think, you know, the more we're all connected to our technology and the more we've become so sedentary, it is frightening to me as we look at the diabetes numbers that are increasing and the obesity numbers that are increasing. And, and I worry about the kids and, you know, so, and they took away gym in a lot of schools, right? Yeah. And so, You know, are you doing any work around kids and fitness and any of that? Is that an area that you're getting involved in at all? There's only so much bandwidth that we all have. Yeah. Um, This is another reason you're asking me, you know, how did I keep going on and on? Yeah. I tried to address what I could do. Yeah. I'm very, very, very supportive of any kind of kids activity. And my focus is women. Yeah. If, If I can get the women who still really, let's say, control the domestic situation in the house, usually she does, then that she sets in a way the pattern for the house. And she's an example. I mean, I was really lucky that I had a dad who, I mean, he was a very conservative and macho guy. I mean, he was an army colonel, for heaven's sake. But he was very, very egalitarian. And my mother was very active, but she wasn't an active exerciser. You know, I'd rather focus on the women and have them change That's what I can do. I can do Mm -hmm. women and then hopefully they'll pass it on to the kids. That's very much the conversation I have when I talk with other women who have been on a weight loss journey in that we know that if they're in charge of what the family eats and if they're starting to move, the kids are starting to move. And so we're trying to approach it from that perspective, because I also think it's such a great opportunity for families to start talking to each other again, you know, to get outside you know, and put down the phones and the video games and start whatever it is you're doing. It really does help with connection. Absolutely does. And you know what? I don't think I've ever seen a a baby crying in a baby jogger. Good point. They love it. (laughs) They went out there having fun. (laughs) That's true. So what are you up to now? I know you have 261 Fearless. I know that's not all you're doing. What are you up to? Oh, lots of things. But 261 Fearless is the dominant Mm -hmm. user of my time. Well, my passion, you know, to try to pass on what I know to a core group of other women who are going to pass it on to different clubs in different communities and pass it on to hopefully maybe thousands and thousands of women. 
So it's, it's a big job. As I say, it's a little daunting because we probably won't reach fruition with this until after I'm dead. So I've, I've always been a, a person who could focus on the project. And then when I get there, I, yes, you know, yeah. I, we did it. Now we go on to the next step. I have a great team of women who are at that perfect age, you know, I would say between 40 and 65 around in there who are, they're smart, they're savvy, and they're passionate. So I think we're going to be great. And our club leaders also. But other things, definitely, you know, I'm working on another book, you know, we're working on this film project and constantly, and this sounds so self-serving, but I don't mean it to. I do a tremendous amount of interviews. It's wonderful to talk to people like you because I love to get the word out. You know, I love to keep telling people about the opportunities that are out there, how much they're needed. The world needs you guys, everybody, really, definitely. And don't think that you don't have something to offer. Everybody has a lot to offer. And you have a lot to offer yourself. When I talk about opportunity and how important opportunity is, you give opportunity all the time to other people, maybe, but try giving it to yourself, you know? Really, you can do much more than you ever believed. I truly try to let people know that your body and your mind are astonishing. I mean, they can accomplish much more than you ever imagined. And the only way you can test that is to try. And then you take that step and you take the next step. You know that in terms of an incredible weight loss journey and also an incredible overcoming many, many health problems. Anybody who's gotten a PhD or had a baby knows, (laughs) Um, run a marathon, you know, wow, I did that. (laughs) How miraculous. Yeah. Yeah, I actually got my PhD. I was diagnosed stage four cancer while I was getting a PhD. And I still finished on time. Thank you very much. Oh, my God. Well, I'm glad to have you with us smiling. Uh, Thank you, Catherine. You know, I think that's a good place to, even though we could talk for days, but I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time. I know you're very busy, but you know, the impact you have made for so, so many women, this is truly going to go down as one of the highlights of my life. There is no question about that. I want to remind everybody to check out your books and anything that's coming down the pike and check out 261 Fearless. And I'll put all that stuff on my website too, to make sure it's easy for folks to access. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. A quick reminder that this podcast will be available on my website, GretchenHolmesPhD.com. Make sure you check it out. You'll also find some valuable resources along with my previous podcasts. Feel free to drop me a line if you'd like. I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to be a guest on my show, you can drop me a line there. Finally, from me to you, remember to love and celebrate yourself now, today. Don't wait until you feel worthy. You already are. Loving yourself is the only way to good health. Until next time. The information on this podcast is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. 